Welcome to Design Lessons, the podcast where we design our teaching days to be fulfilling for us and irresistible to our students. I'm Dr. Michelle Schmidt-Moore, and instructional design is my superpower. Each episode, we will take actionable steps to create great teaching days. We'll focus on mindset, real-world opportunities, and critical and creative thinking for us and our students. So, whether you're on your commute to school, walking your dog, or doing the dishes, let's start designing. Hey, designers. Today, we have the pleasure of talking to Michelle Hazeltine, who is the founder of the hashtag 100 Days of Notebooking Challenge and is currently writing in her 86th notebook. Michelle is an educator whose work with her students embodies our three design touchstones. We get to talk to her about the steps she takes to create community and trust with her students. We talk about authentically celebrating failures and how liberating that can be for students. She shares the one rule that transformed her classroom and also the questions she uses to help students overcome the struggle with creativity and critical thinking. So before we get started, I wanted, of course, to ask you to rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We are still trying to reach our goal of over 100 five-star reviews. And as I said before, reviews are so important for a new podcast. And so I really appreciate you taking the time to leave one. So let's get started. Well, hi, Michelle. I'm so glad that you're here at Design Lessons today. Um, I thought you could, um, I've introduced you, of course, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for inviting me. This is um, really exciting. I am a teacher. Um, I'm a teacher writer. Um, I have been teaching um, for over 20 years. I am currently working with seventh graders in middle school. Um, I also am a writer and a notebooker and, um, do all those things to kind of keep myself busy. That sounds actually wonderful. And I love your 100 days of notebook community that you've built in Facebook. I definitely have made writing and notebooking more of something I do daily than I did before, ever since I started that challenge with you. Well, thank you for telling me that. It's we started it on January first of this of this past year. Um, notebooking is something I've done um, since I was nine years old, and I it is the way I kind of communicate with the world. If that makes any sense, you know, mm-hmm. I really need to. I need my notebook to process through things and to celebrate things and to cry about things. And yeah. it's a practice that I have brought with me through my personal life growing up and to adulthood. And I've brought it into my classroom too. Well, and that's so interesting. You know, I know that, um, well, I've had the pleasure of being in your classroom and seeing the magic that happens there. And, you know, I've always sort of wanted to know is really like, how do you build that community? Because it truly is magical when you go in your classroom. You know, how, what are the ways that you, you know, build community in your classroom? How do you make it um, feel as though everyone is excited to be there and they seem as though they truly, truly love each other and like each other? Um, well, thank you because I, I consider that the highest compliment I could get. Um, you know, it all comes from something that my dad said to me, um, God, when I was in high school and he used to tell my sister and I, if you have to spend all your time somewhere, 
you need to make that time worthwhile and valuable, whatever that means. And, you know, he told us when we were growing up that, you know, your job, you're going to spend a lot of time there. And so make it a place where you want to be and where the people around you want to be. And the people who are around me happen to be 12 and 13 years old. So Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's really important to me that the classroom is a place where everybody feels safe and everybody feels welcome. And one of the things that we all do, and and I model this for them, it's easy to do, is we celebrate mistakes because that's where the learning happens. So, and I don't even have to do the whole teacher pretend thing, you know, like you messed up. And we, I laugh at myself and I invite the students to laugh at, at things like that and to invite that risk-taking in, and then mm. when they mess something up, we all celebrate, oh my gosh, look at how messy that is. That That's fantastic. Mm. We know that doesn't work, so how can we figure out a new path, a new route? And we're a team. You know, yeah. we always come back to we're a team, and we together we'll figure out a better way to do it. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like I jumped around a little bit there, but it's really it's important to me that every single student feels seen and heard and known when they walk mm. into the door of my classroom. That's something that that little space is something where I feel like I can control that and make sure that everybody feels like they belong there. And I think especially when you're in middle school, um, belonging is a hard thing for a lot of kids because it's that awkward changing stage for so many kids, but to feel like they belong in a space mm-hmm. is probably the most important thing I could do as a teacher. You know, and I, th- I, I think that I love what you said about this idea of making mistakes seem like something that we should celebrate. I feel like that is such a, like a, a good mindset to have. Um, I think that as adults and as, you know, students, you know, we're so afraid of making mistakes. And so this idea that you sort of celebrate that and you make that a big deal for them. Um, and it sounds like you do it naturally. Um, and so as a result, they see you as a model and then kind of go from there. And then you were also just talking about how you make, you know, your goal or, or the, the thing that you want to do is you want them to feel as though your classroom is a safe space. Um, and I know I've seen you um, put online, but I've also seen them in person, your You Matter messages. Um, sort of how did that come to be and, and, and how is it sort of developed in your classroom? Well, this, it, the messages started, um, the actual messages started last year, but You Matter itself has been around for me for maybe about five years or so. And it's my one and only classroom rule. You know, we have to come up with classroom rules at the beginning of the year. And the only one that I have is that it's, it's, you matter. It is everywhere you turn when you look in my classroom space. Um, And basically what it means is that I see you and I know when you're here and I know when you're not, and it's important. And we talk about it as a class that I can't be the only one to make everybody feel like you matter. I'll do my best, but the students have to do it for each other. And in the beginning of the year, we do lots of kind of goofy role-playing because seventh graders Mm -hmm. love goofy (laughs) role-playing about you matter and, you know, things that, because it can apply in every single situation. I mean, there's any kind of 
thing that might come up that comes, it can come back to that. Um, and then my background is elementary education. I started as an elementary, as a third grade teacher. And so for some reason, last year, I started writing messages on my board, kind of like a morning message that an elementary teacher might write. And I always ended the message with you matter. And, and I post them all on Instagram, um, so that the parents could see it too. And what happened is with seventh graders, um, they didn't say anything the messages were up there and nobody said anything to me. And I did a different one every day for like three months. And one day um, I had a parent send me an email and she told me that her son came home and told her um, about one of the messages and how it just like, it just made him feel better. And I realized, Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, they're reading them. So I've just kept it up when we were, out of school doing virtual distance learning, um, I kept doing the You Matter messages, um, at least for the first couple months. And it's it's something I've had students move away across the country and they still follow the messages. Uh-huh. Just, and I write them be, by what I would need to hear that day. I think mm-hmm. about okay, I don't really want to be here today, or I'm really tired, or I don't really feel good, or oh, I'm really excited, whatever that feeling is. And I try and write a message um, that I might want to hear that day. And it, it usually kind of works to share with the rest of the kids. I, I absolutely love that. And I, I feel as though like, it's almost like your daily inspiration. And so your kids, you know, they come in your classroom and they're probably looking forward to the you matter, you know, message that you have in there. And then, you know, I find it so interesting. It was something that you were doing for three months without necessarily getting that feedback from the kids right away, but it was something that was part of your environment that was affecting them every day in a very positive way. And so it's, it's kind of like we, you know, we talk about, let me try something. And sometimes it just takes time before you might actually see the results of it. But uh, clearly it was something that the kids were, um, it resonated with them. Like it was something that they were really identifying with and, and taking with them throughout the day. And I love this idea of that you were talking about, um, you know, this was something that you might want to hear that day. And I, and I think that that's, you know, sometimes you can't have conversations with all 100 students, but this seems like it's a way to have that conversation with them, or at least give them that encouragement without even having to have a conversation. Because, you know, in a course of a class period, you might not get to all 25 of your students, um, or the course of the day, you might not get to all 100 of your students. And this is sort of a strategy, or, you know, just a, you know, an environment thing that can really make a difference and I think helps build your community. Yeah. I, it, it turned into, it's, it, you know, it's, it's what I think of teaching. I feel like you stumble on the best ideas and it's turned into something that's been really powerful. Um, I even had a, a coworker send me an email one day. She's a PE teacher and she walks by my room every day and she sent me an email and she said, I miss your You Matter messages when we were back at home. She said, I, I felt like you wrote them for me. And because I post them on social media, other people had said the same thing. And, and that meant a lot too. Um, um, and it's just really trying to be honest with you know, life isn't always, you know, baskets of puppies. It can be hard sometimes, but like just show up or just, you know, you're not there, you're not doing it on your own or, 
and w- one of the biggest successes from that too is um, we were writing in one of my classes and one of my students didn't know what to write. And so I said to him, well, you really like the messages because he had told me. So he started from that day and he wrote those messages every single day in his notebook. And he ended up saying, can I write some on the board? And that was pretty cool too, to kind of let the ownership go to the kids to start writing Mm -hmm. them. Um, And they would make little comments with the whiteboard markers, like, Oh, I really like this today. Thanks. And it, that I found to be even more um, powerful because it was them talking to them. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And you know, that kind of like gets me to talking about the thing I was thinking about when you say that, like this idea of, you know, it's not just you creating this environment that you're, you're kind of giving them the ownership to create this environment or this class together. Um, And so that was actually kind of brings me to a question about like ways that you have kids share. So like he felt prompted to share because, you know, this was something that you had been sharing and then he was practicing you matter messages and then decided he was ready to share. How do you, um, sort of promote sharing in your classroom, um, particularly with writing, because that's one of the things that, you know, I think all of us feel like it's a very personal thing. Um, how do you go about doing that? I believe with all of my heart that if you are going to do any writing in a classroom with your students, then you must be a writer yourself. And to me, the definition of a writer is someone who writes. So mm-hmm. pick up a notebook and a pen and you are you go on your keyboard or whatever, and you write and you're a writer. Because if you are not a writer, it will not, it will be harder for you to understand the, the true vulnerability it takes to share your writing. But Mm -hmm. if you're a writer, you know exactly what that feels like. And so the sharing um, of writing, the sharing of any kind of product in my classroom all comes from the fact that I do it first (laughs) and I do it with them. And I won't ever ask them to do anything that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. And so I can have conversations with them that are not necessarily teacher to student, but writer to writer. And Mm -hmm. students respect that and they get it. And they're like, oh, wait, you're doing this too? And it's, it can, it can be hard um, if it's something you've never done before, but it is so worth it because there is nothing better than to, I don't know, you have the kids writing whatever. And if you're sitting there for a little bit and writing it as well next to them and you realize this has happened to me. Oh my gosh, you guys, this question, this doesn't make any sense. I don't know how to answer it. And they're looking at you going, yeah, I don't know either. And then we can have that discussion in the moment. And then maybe I can revise the question I asked because it's a hard question to answer. If I wasn't a writer, I might not have known that. That makes, that makes absolute sense. This idea of writing alongside your kids, um, you know, because I think then they th- they see you also as being part of the community versus being necessarily the leader of the community. Yeah. You were talking about like different projects that your kids are working on. And I know, you know, you've, obviously you've taught English before, you've taught at the elementary level before, but I know right now you're teaching a communications class. Um, and, you know, and one of our design pillars is sort of real world opportunities. And I'm wondering sort of what are some of the projects that your kids have outside audiences? And by outside audiences, it doesn't necessarily have to be outside of the school, but it has to be someone beyond just the teacher. Like this, that there's this, um, in my mind, it's that there's an audience that is 
not just the teacher. <laughs> Someone right. else is going to be you know, listening to it. So I was kind of curious about some of the projects um, that you have your kids working on. Well, I, I love the class I'm teaching now. This communications elective is just amazing. And um, the projects that we do are just the kids get so excited about them. Uh, one of the, the first thing that we do is we run our school's news program, you know, like a morning announcements program. Um, mm-hmm. But we run it and we'll have like 100 or 120 kids be a part of the program. Not every single one every day, but the kids will record the weather or an announcement or a good morning message. And then, you know, we upload and edit everything kind of like a real TV show and we upload them to YouTube. Uh, The kids get so unbelievably creative because they've watched this show in sixth grade. And so they know they come into this class in seventh grade thinking, oh, I want to do this. And so every year they up the stakes and they make it maybe more interesting or or different than the year before. And they put their brand on it. Um, One of my favorite things that we do is we actually, the kids um, make their own podcasts now, this is a progress, a project that I'm still learning about because I'm still learning about the publication part of it, but mm-hmm. they learn how to interview. I have someone from outside of the classroom who she works in the county. She comes in and, and works with them on interviewing and presenting skills. And then they mm-hmm. go around the school or outside the school and they'll interview people for their podcast. And I had two of my boys this year interview our principal And she came back to me and said, in front of them, she said they were better interviewers than a reporter from uh, like a very well-known newspaper who was interviewed by the year before. She said they were asking questions and following up and listening. And those two just loved it and started interviewing everybody they could. Like whenever we had someone interview, they're like, well, can we do it? And they took such ownership of that. And it was, it was amazing to see um, their kind of gift for that. And then they started showing other kids how to do it. And so it's, that project started out as something so little for the podcast. And then it turned into something that they started doing throughout the rest of the, the school year. Um, we, so they got to kind of practice those skills over and over again. They got this really wonderful feedback from the person who they interviewed and also to be compared to a, you know, professional journalist is, is probably, probably must've been really rewarding and exciting for them. And so they're excited about, about interviewing and make creating good questions and asking follow-up questions because they've had experience doing this thing sort of out in the world, so to speak. And yes. And, and what's great is that they're in their English classes and in their history classes, they'll have projects where they can apply the skills they've learned in our communications class. And they always come back so excited. And I've been really lucky to work with some of the teachers in some of those other classes. And I've told them, okay, we've just finished interviewing. And so those teachers will then kind of do that next project where the kids will have to interview. And then the students in my class will kind of get to present to their English class these are some tips to be a good interviewer and such a great carryover for them to see that this is something that they'll really use this in, in real life. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, So those are, those are just some of them. (laughs) I could probably go on. (laughs) 
Well, how do you like um, feel like some of the projects that you do with your students really kind of foster that critical and creative thinking? So that's like our third touchdown, touch, touchstone for designing our experiences with our kids is really showing them um, really how do I you know think critically? How do I do analysis? How do I you know brainstorm new ideas? How do I um, synthesize ideas? How, what kinds of things do you find that you do that kind of help to support that? Um, it's such a good question. The critical thinking is, is to me, communicating is very important and all of the other things I'm teaching are important, but the critical thinking is so essential because they have to know how to solve the problems. You know, when they're in the middle of it, they have to be able to figure it out. Right. And so it's one of the things that we talk about when we're starting something new we'll get the new project and and they'll kind of brainstorm and they'll they'll think of their ideas and they can be as creative as they want sometimes being creative is hard i mean i think a lot of times it is because i think some of them are used to but i, I want to know the right way to do it and there's not necessarily a right way when you're being creative right and so yeah. It takes a lot of practice and a lot of trust for them to really allow themselves to be creative. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once they do that and they start the project, they like to ask lots of questions. And my answer, my first answer very often is, what do you think? What mm-hmm. have you done to figure that out? And it's not that I just leave them high and dry, but we talk about it. What have you tried? What do you, what else do you think might work? How else do you think, who who do you think could help you with this? Because I think, and I've been guilty of this. I think all teachers have, you know, they come ask a quick question and the easiest thing to do is give them a quick answer. But if I don't give them the answer and I make them think about it for themselves, very often they know what the answer is. It's just that maybe they're a little unsure or they're not, they don't have enough kind of trust in themselves So they get, some of them get very frustrated with me because I try to make them answer their own questions as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, We do a lot with um, editing videos. um, Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the times that's a hard thing to do. And so I, for some of the kids that really struggle through it, I'll sit next to them when they're doing it, but they have to have their hands on the computer and they're the ones doing it. And sometimes it's the fear, like they're just afraid to mess something up. And I, I say, you you can't mess this up. Go ahead, do whatever you want. You can't mess this up. And once they can kind of move past that fear, then they're able to to show their creative side and then they're able to kind of say, well, what if I try it like this? And it's almost like that critical thinking just falls in behind it. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And I, and I think that what you were, you just kind of listed so many things that kind of tied what we've been talking about together. You talked a lot about how your kids need to trust in order to be creative. And so, you know, when we talked in the beginning of this conversation about, you know, how are we creating or how are you creating community in your classroom? you know, and, and letting the kids know that they matter and doing the messages and showing them that it's okay to fail, that you're kind of creating this place where, you know, they feel comfortable trusting you, but also trusting the other students in that classroom, that they could try something and fail. Or like you said, to be creative, you do kind of have to sort of trust that, it's okay to have multiple ideas and maybe only one of them kind of works out, but then you persevere 
and you know you go on to that next thing so like your answer into this really sort of fed into like all the things that we've been talking about and how they fit together this idea of creativity and trust and um and having them have ownership of what they are working on. I think they're so excited to work on it because it's real. They're getting actual feedback from other people besides, besides you right. that, um, for the work that they're doing. And it, it's, you know, the, the trust doesn't come right away. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like I could go into my classroom next week and say, okay, we're going to do this and they're all going to trust me. You know, we talk a lot about trust in the beginning of the year. And I will say at the very beginning of the, maybe the first week, I'll say, do you trust me? And, you know, you'll have a handful of kids raise their hand immediately. Yes. And you'll have, you know, a few that are kind of not sure. And then you'll have a bunch that are like, no. And I said, you shouldn't, you don't know me. If you don't know me, you shouldn't trust me. But my job is to earn your trust. And once I've earned your trust and you feel like, okay, I'm going to be okay. That's when my expectation is that I'm going to get everything that you're, you can give to this class, you know, that, um, they, I don't want to say this. They, they have to show up and do their best and their best could be, they fail a project every single time they try it because it's just not working the way they want it to. So that's their definition of failure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, they still, no. It doesn't mean you fail and you just, you move on. No, no, no. You come back. We got to figure it out. We got to do it a different way. So mm. we have to finish it, whatever that means. And so that process is hard. And some kids really want to give up early and some kids, you know, really resist um, going back to something that didn't work. But once mm. they've done it and worked through it, at least once, maybe a couple times, they realize, number one, I'm not going to give up on them. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm there and I'm not going away. <laughs> um, but then they also realize, oh, wait, yeah, that first one, that was terrible. But look, look at how much better it is now. And if they don't realize that, I will stop and we'll process, we'll reflect together so they can see how much better. Because I want them to understand that when you keep working at something, it does get better. And what they're doing without even realizing it is they're revising their work, which is what you would do in an English class with a paper, right? You're over and over and over again doing it. Um, But I want them to feel confident and successful about that so that when they do go into their English class, they realize, oh, wait, maybe if I did this again, it might get a little bit better. So you're really naming it for them. So if they can't see the progress from one version to the, to the other, you're taking the time to say, look how much better, I don't know, your phrasing is here, or look how much better, you know, whatever skill it is that you're working on. You're, if they're unable to currently at that level, do the critical thinking to process the reflection, you're helping them do the reflection so they can actually see where they, where they've grown. And And to let them know it's okay. Like when you go back and look at your, we'll do it with the news um, show that we do. We'll go back and look at what we did in August. We'll do that maybe in like, I don't know, April or May. And they Mm -hmm. will laugh at how nervous they looked or how they were, you know, maybe stuttering over a word because they didn't know what to say. And they're like, oh my gosh, look at me. And I said, yeah, but look at you now. And now how did you get from there to here? And we talk about it. That because they all come in thinking, oh, I'm going to do the new show. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it better. I'm going to. And then when they start doing it, they realize how hard it is. 
and like I said, the the process of that growth is just so exciting to see. Um, and then when they get to see it, I think they really get this light bulb moment of, you know, I did work hard at that. And look, I got better at it. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. So I was curious. Um, so you know our design touchstones here at Design Lessons um, are mindset and relationships, real-world opportunities, and this idea of critical and creative thinking. And I was curious, what educators do you admire that kind of embody either one or all of these touchstones? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Such a hard question for me to answer. Um, I have – I'm lucky enough to um, – work with some amazing educators in, in my building. And I could name so many that I don't even want to, cause I'm going to forget somebody. I feel really lucky that I work with a lot of amazing people who work, who value the relationship and the mindset work. Um, and then where it leads. Um, I also work with some teachers around the country, um, through a, a community called teach right. Um, and there's one teacher who's, um, coming to mind right away. His name is um, Andy Schoenberg. God, Schoenborn. I'm saying his name wrong. If he hears this, he's going to kill me. Anyway, um, Andy Schoenborn, he is a high school teacher in Michigan. And he is someone that I wish I could go back to high school and have him as my teacher. Um, because he is someone that values the relationships with his students and really gets to know them for who they are. And the writing that he does with them and has them do, oh my gosh, it's really powerful. Um, because they just turn into these beautiful writers um, wow. because they they trust him and they trust that that class is a safe is a safe space. Do you know what I mean? Um, yes. It's just it's so powerful to to see that. Um, another and he has a book out recently too. Yeah, does yes he does. Creating <laughs> confident writers. Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. Um, another educator um, that I admire so much is is Jennifer Lafine, who started Teach Right, who mm. just the entire philosophy of Teach Right is about including everybody in the conversation and letting everybody know that being a teacher writer is important, but that it's not a scary thing and that we build a community and we can do it together. Yes, yes. I've had the opportunity to, um, I think, go to her time to write workshops. And those are really lovely. I do feel like there's a very positive um, community and, and everyone's about doing something. Everyone has a project that they're working on, um, which is and, and each inspires the other. And, and I think that that is that does make that a very special um, place. Um, so I was also going to ask you, you know, I know you're like me, an educator who always um, is learning. Um, and I know that our design lessons um, uh, audience here or crew um, really also is the kind of educator who likes to learn. Um, so are there any like books or videos or podcasts that you would recommend? Okay. So I, um, one of my favorite books that I would highly recommend, and this isn't even necessarily written a book written for teachers. Um, it's it's by Linda Berry, um, and the book is called Syllabus. 
Yes. I know you recommended it to me a while back. I love that book. Um, I believe her newest book, is this her newest book, um, is Making Comics. And I know that that might sound a little, you know, why would you want us to read something like that? She has the most phenomenal um, writing and doodling and drawing exercises that that I've had my students do. And again, it's another thing that builds community because if you have everybody kind of do something, we, last year we did, um, every day they came in, they had to doodle a picture of doodle, a self portrait of themselves. Um, and then handed in, that was almost like their attendance. Right. Right. Um, and it, every single day on a different index card. So you can imagine the number of index cards I had. And at the end of the year or at the end of each semester, we passed them back. And some oh. kids would draw their facial expressions. So then I, right away, I would know that kid's having a bad day. Some mm. would write a little speech bubble saying, I think I failed my math test. Um, and so it was, it was amazing where they got, and some just like to draw and it was a nice little relaxing way to enter the classroom. Um, and I, I got that. that idea from Linda Berry. So mm. I would definitely recommend anything that she has to write. Another author that I love, 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 and this really is for my own personal, um, sanity, uh, is Cleo Wade. I don't know if you've ever read anything by her. She wrote the book Heart Talk, um, okay. which I love. And it's the subtitle is Poetic Wisdom for a Better Life. Mm. And they're just, it's a beautiful book. Um, and there are poems and little essays in there that just um, really grab my heart. And sometimes I would read these at the beginning of the day to myself um, or at the end of the day to just kind of ground myself. Um, and she has a new book out and for the life of me, I cannot remember the, I think it's when you begin. I can't remember the title of it, Um, but we'll look it up and we'll add it to the show notes. Yeah. I love, I just, she's, she's someone who's inspirational to me. And that's something I feel like I really like having in my life. Um, and then for writing, um, the, the book I think everybody must have if they don't have it is writing down the bones by Natalie Goldberg. Um, I've had this book, (laughs) I've had this book since 1990 something. Um, and I still have my same copy and it's just really powerful. Natalie Goldberg is a phenomenal writer and teacher, and she still will offer like some online classes and stuff. Um, she is someone, I feel like she's someone who taught me how to write. Um, Mm so And I would, there's a million, she has lots of books. I would highly recommend starting with writing down the bones because that was one that stuck with me. Oh, I love it. I love it. Michelle, thank you so much. I think, I feel like we've taken away so much from this conversation. Um, It's, I I mean, we talk all the time, but it's just having this nice opportunity to kind of talk together about um, school and kids and trust and thinking um, I think was really special. Well, thank you for inviting me. This has been, this has been very special and I feel very grateful to be invited. 
If you want to learn more about Michelle, you can find her at michellehaveltine.com. In addition, she has a book coming out from Teach Right Press that will teach you all about how to get started with notebooking. And if you haven't already, I really encourage you to join the 100 Days of Notebooking Facebook group. There are writers from all over the world in that group. And lastly, of course, please check out the show notes for this week's episode. You'll find the links to all of the resources that were mentioned in today's podcast at michelleschmidtmore.com slash podcast. And this is episode four. Until next time, designers. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We will see you on the next episode.